cold. Some of you love it. I don't. That's depressing. There's a lot of ragweed out there and everybody's got allergies. That's depressing. Flu season is on us. That's depressing. Besides that, there's a lot of tension. There's an election going on too. And the commercials are depressing. <laughs> don't even turn on your TV. You don't want to see it. <laughs> and then there's a pandemic out there. That may be the easiest news we've got going on. I'm glad to see you this morning. I'm being, I hope you know I was being a bit facetious in all that. There's some truth to it. But it is a great day. The, the song that we sang before the Lord's Supper, why? Why did my Savior come to earth? It's a good question. Why? Why in the world did he do that? I think it poses a question as we're looking at the second chapter of 1 John. You may not have noticed, but the last couple of lessons have come out of 1 John chapter 2. He's going to be in the, the same category today as 1 John chapter 2. In verse 12 through 14, John poses and answers the question. We want to know, why? Why, Lord? Why, why me, Lord? Why this? First, John, read with me 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. I write to you. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I've written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. You know, I actually can read that back there. That's, that's amazing. Don't turn around and look at it. That's all right. My wife wanted to know they're going to put a clock back there for you. No, I can read what it said back there. It's good to see that. And John offers this passage. I don't know how many times I've looked at this. And it's a neat passage. It's a neat passage. But I, I have never, and, and, you know, in 40 some odd years, uh, in 10 years of preaching, in 40 some odd years of preaching, I don't know that I've ever preached on this passage. And I sat there Monday morning looking at this and I'm thinking, what can I do with this? What's its purpose? What does John want us to know? What is it? Everything that's written is something there for us to know. I believe that, don't you? I do believe that. What does he want us to know? Notice what he says. I write to you. I write to you. You know, if you can go back to the pre-email and uh, electronic transmission of information age, in those pre-email years, cards and letters were the common means of communication outside of the telephone. But even the telephone was somewhat limited for many years. You know, if you, you watch Andy Griffith, you, you know what I mean. But even the telephone for many years, I can go back to uh, uh, pre-marriage years and even early married years in which the telephone was not always the easiest way to communicate because there was a cost involved. If you called somebody at distance, now locally it was okay, but if you called someone at distance, the, the cost mounted up in a hurry. It didn't take very long for a long-distance call to become pretty expensive and, and all and things like that. In fact, I was thinking about this week and remembering, probably shouldn't tell you all that, in that summer before I got married to my first wife, I mean to Paula, uh, my dad came in and found me one day and he said, uh, there's a $40 charge on our phone bill. 
I don't think he had ever seen a $40 phone bill in his life. He said, there's a $40 charge on our phone bill, and I don't think it's mine. I said, okay, I'll find $40 and pay you. But that was, that was what it was tied into. Long-distance calls can, can mount up in a hurry. That was just probably one phone call. No, it's about a month worth of phone calls. We were not that, that, uh, that much of talkers in so many ways. But letters were the common way. We wrote to people what we wanted to communicate. We wrote to them. We sent letters and expected them to get there. And you could stick that five cent or 13 cent or it went up 25 and on up stamp on that letter. And you could send that letter a couple of days or so. It would be there and somebody would read it. They'd write to you and they write back. But you remember how exciting it was when somebody would come in and say, you got a letter. You got a letter. There's a letter for you today. Now, I just come in and I see any mail today. I said, yeah, the bills are over there. But the letters, and you got them. And every now and then you get one of those letters, one of those letters that would come in and somebody hands you a letter, and you didn't even open it. You just looked at the letter and you saw who it was from because it had the return address on there or the name on there. And you'd look at it and you'd say, well, I wonder why, I wonder why so-and-so is writing to me. And you would ponder over it and you'd say, I wonder why, whoever it was, blank, is writing to me. Of course, you could open the letter and find out why they're writing to you, but it was an exciting thing to get a letter and to read that letter. Letters were a gift, and there are those that maybe you still have in your... I've got some in my treasures, treasures, some that are, that are quite old, that are quite old, and, and I, I wonder about them, and you wonder... Uh, you look at them and you know wh- how special they are and you no longer wonder I had to get that right you no longer wonder why they wrote but there is something out there about I wonder why I wonder why God is writing to me why he's given me this gift parallel or out to the side 1972 in 1972 Chris Christopherson wrote and recorded the song that would mark his career. He wrote a great number of songs. Some of them you probably would recognize. Some of them you may not. But he wrote a song. He called it, Why Me? It rose on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, as well as the, the Billboard Hot Country singles in 1973. It rose the charts, and it was on the charts for 38 weeks. It missed, it missed a record by one week, missed being a record by one week, falling off the charts after 30, but 38 weeks. Obviously, it struck a chord with people. People drew something from it. It caught their attention. And if you haven't heard it in a long time, listen, it's not the quality of the music, I think. It's not the sound of his voice, for sure. But it's, I think, the message. Why me, Lord? What have I ever done? To deserve even one. And he goes on of what God has done for him. It came at a time where he was fairly low in his life. He had been invited to go and hear a certain preacher preach in a, in a place. And you can check out the story on that. But he had been looking at his life. He had been seeing the hedonistic style in which he had lived his life. And he had been wondering why in the world had be, he been so blessed? Why in the world had he had such opportunities he had? And he listened to this preacher. And he listened to the things that were said. And while he was going through that tough, reflective time in his life, 
he heard, began to hear the message of God and God to him. I'm not saying his life was greatly changed by any means, but it did, it did pose some questions in his mind, and it made him write this song. And he was asking what he had done to deserve the blessings that he saw in life. It was the posing of a question, why would God do good things for such a rebellious, ornery person who'd lived in such a hedonistic manner? He was amazed at what he had believed God had done for him. It gets back to the question, why me, Lord? And I think it goes to what John has to say to us right here because you and I are going to want to get something from this. But what John tells us is there is a reason to write. There's a reason to write. There's always a reason for writing. At the heart of it, we really want to communicate something, whatever it is. It may be that little child's picture that draws a picture of mom and dad and so forth and hands it to you that you put up on the refrigerator at home. There's a message in there. Or when they begin to write their names and begin to spell out names and write them, and you put those up there and you think, my child is brilliant. There's a communication. There's a message that's there. And we've come into our time in which people write just short bursts of things, whether we're talking about Twitter or, or, or even emails and, and text messages that are short and the emojis that, that are on there and so forth. It's all about communication, sometimes very abbreviated, sometimes very limited in their expressions, but it is there. There are motivations as to why we, we write. When we want to write something or we want to put something out there, there's a reason why. Maybe we want to entertain. We think it's funny. We think it's something special. We want to write something down. We've told a story, and that's the communication that's there. We think it's lively. We think it's funny. We think it's something special, and we, we want to entertain people with what we have to say. We want them to laugh. We want them to feel good. Or maybe we want to educate. We've got a, we've got a perspective of thought. We want to tell them who they ought to vote for. You can ask me after service, and I'll tell you. But uh, maybe we want to communicate something of importance. We want to communicate something that we believe should be valued in their life and is beneficial in their lives. And so we, we put out words. We share them out there. You can go onto the internet today and you can read unendingly people's opinions and ideas and because they want to educate you in their perspective and what they think things ought to be. Educate by writing and great books, of course, and I'm not even talking about textbooks and reference books and all of that, but education is out there, isn't it? Sometimes we write because we love. We write because we love. We just want to tell somebody. And if we can't do it in person, we, we do it in writing. And it may be written in many words. It may be written in few. But we just want to say, I love you. And we express that love. Maybe it's just a sharing. We want you to know. I want you to know what's going on. I want you to hear all of these things. They're there. And like I said, among the physical treasures that I have are, are some of the letters that have been written. I've got one that my grandfather wrote to me about the time I was born. I, I, I read it the next year. But uh, the, I've, got, I've got that letter stowed away. I actually wrote it to my father and had me included in it. I've got a letter or two my dad wrote me. My dad didn't write me many letters, but I've got one or two. I've, got, I've still got several old letters that Paula wrote, and I hold them over her head every now and then to remind her. But treasures, especially. I've, I've got some that people wrote to me through the years in work and ministry. Have you got some of those kind of things? And not all of them, not, by me, not, not all of them are 
or words of praise. Sometimes they were words of correction. You know, we need those too, don't we? Those are treasures. But why is John writing? Why is John writing? I think there's a key word in John, in 1 John, and the key word is know, that you may know. He's written that you know. He wants them to have knowledge. This is an education, but it is an act of love. It's not about entertainment, but it is a sharing. It's an education, and it is love. Know is the key word, and he states it no better anywhere else in the writing of this epistle than in the verse 13 of chapter 5 when he says, I've written these things that you might know. What does he want you to know? That you have life. In Christ, he wants them to know. He wants them to know the forgiveness. He wants them to know the life. And he wants them to know that they have it in Christ Jesus. And he says, I've written to you because. Because. And that's what this passage is. I've written to you because. Because. And he uses the term little children. And I've looked at this and I thought, well, is he segregating people here? And I've written to this one because of that. I've written to this. I really think he's just saying, here's my reasons for writing. When, you, when you're a father, you know this. When you're a little child, you know this. When you're young men, you know this. And that's what he's saying. He's written little children, and that's a term of endearment that he uses. Go back to verse 1 of chapter 2, what he says, my little children. It's a special endearing term. He says, because you're forgiven of your sins, because you have known the Father. I've written to you, fathers, you, because you know him. You have known him. You've known him over a period of time. You have experience and you have knowledge and you have known him. And you young men, you're full of vitality. You're strong and you've overcome the wicked one. And I want you to know that the word of God is in you and you're strong in this. This is about confirmation. It's about reminder. I've written to you because, because you need to know this, because I want you to have this. I want you to, to in, have this endeared and written on your hearts, not just, just something that's in a book somewhere that's set over here on the side. I want you to know this thing. I want it important to you and shared with you. This is about confirmation and reminder. He knows their strengths, and he wants them to be assured. And if you look at John, you look at where he is in his life, if this is written about the time we think it was written, John is an old man. He may have lived quite a number of years beyond this. Some think that he, was, he lived beyond all the other 12 and that he was quite an old man, well beyond 100 years. But here he is probably nearing 100 years of age at the time he's writing this latter years of his life. And he's writing these things down. Some think it's written around 90 AD. So he's 90 or better years of age probably. At the time he's writing this, writing this and he knows that his time is getting short on this earth. And there are things we want to share when time gets short. Much like Jacob would call in his sons and says, I know I'm dying. I want you to... Hear these things. Share his blessings and his promises with them. He's getting old and his time is very limited and he wants to confirm some things. Peter says that. I want you to have a reminder after I'm gone. We do that, don't we? There are things that we want to share, things that we want known, things that we want to impart to others. A lot of times we put it in a last will and testament. We write it down and say, here's what I want you to know in the end. John is getting old. And he wants this confirmation and he wants this reminder given to them so that they are assured in their minds. But also it's a, as a reminder, it is a thing to say, you know this. You know this thing. You know what I'm telling you. 
This is kind of the football huddle. Well, that's an old picture. This is a football huddle. Well, I didn't want to use a newer version of the Dallas Cowboys. That's, uh, you know, I've got to go back a few years to when they actually played football. Seriously. This is the football huddle, if I can get past that silliness. Where you bring the guys in. What are they doing in the huddle? Some of you have been there. You know what they do. say, all right, we're going to do play number, whatever, whatever, whatever. We're going to do red dog four on the left or something. You know, Okay, whatever it is that you're doing. Well, you know what that is. You already know. You know what you're supposed to do. When you come into the huddle, you know what you're doing, and that's what he's writing here. Maybe this is a little bit similar to Paul on his way back to Jerusalem. Calls for the elders of Ephesus to come and meet him. Not in Ephesus, but calls on them to come and meet him, and they gets together with him, and they have a huddle. They get together, and he says, you know, while I was with you, here's what we did, and here's what, it, and here's what you can expect. Now, go out there and get them. Go take your places and go get them. Get ready for this, because things are going to happen, and they're going to happen fast, and there's going to be defense to everything that you do. It is a huddle that he's calling on them there in Acts 20. And you've got to know, as I said, as he's getting on in years, he wants to make sure he has not wasted his time that the time and teaching was not wasted. He tells them as much the same way Paul writes to the church in Philippi, as you did in my presence, also in my absence, work out your, your salvation with fear and trembling, go a little bit further in the teaching. And he says, I want to make sure, I want to make sure that my time was not empty or wasted in doing these things in that second chapter of Philippians. And so John is telling us here, and that's what this passage is about. I have a reason to write to you. We can segregate it as it's written to this group and this group and this group. No, that's not really the point that we want to get. We want to get the point. He's got a reason for writing to us that we need to hold on to and we need to understand. And so that brings us to this. And I said, this is where we want to go in the beginning because this needs to apply to me. Let's say he's written to you. It's written to you. And while we often call 1 John one of the general epistles, because it does not have a clear specific audience of one town or one place exactly, and we can debate or argue that later, but it is referred to as a general epistle because it's written so broadly, but even the most general writing can be very, very, very personal. You think about that. You can take it very personally and apply it to yourself exactly. If you think about our national documents, maybe the Constitution in particular, in our country, our national documents may be about the whole nation. They may be covering the whole of the nation, uh, past and present and, and the future. But you know, they are also written to you specifically. And you and I look at the things that are contained within that, even if we don't read it and don't really know exactly what's there. We take the things that are, that are in there and written, and we take them very personally. This is my constitution. This is my document. That's the way we do it, isn't it? So the question written to you, what does he say to you? What does he say? 
Listen to what John is saying as he writes this. What does he say to you? He's got a message to you and you and I need to grab hold of it because he's saying to you, you have found forgiveness. I'm afraid we have to some degree lost the value of being forgiven. Sin and wrongdoing of any kind and punishment and repentance are all subjects that are countercultural. They, they're not very well accepted in our culture. They're not very well accepted in the church. We don't like to hear about them as much. We don't like to be corrected. We don't like to be told that we need to correct. We don't like the message that brings us to repentance. It says, I've got to turn my life around. We like to be told, I'm okay, you're okay, let's be okay. But we, in doing so, we lose the power of forgiveness. And I believe in the culture that we have about us that may be even infecting us, we find that repentance has lost a lot of its value. It doesn't mean as much anymore. But let me offer you one thought in that. The Lord paid a high price for our privilege and for our opportunity for us to have it. The Lord paid a high price. There in that meal before his, he goes and is crucified, before they go to the garden, Jesus, speaking to his disciples, speaks about his blood. He said, this is my blood. It's my blood of the covenant, my blood that is shed for the remission of sins of many. The Lord paid a big price for us to have the forgiveness that we find in him. It is not a small matter at all. Secondly, he writes because, and says to you, because you know him. You're here in part because you know him. Many of us have been around for a long time. We have life and experience, and they've shown the need and the, and the reality of God to us. We've recognized we need God. We need this being. We need this power. We need what he is and what he has. And I know in youth we may see God very simply in black and white and God is this being and we, we grab hold of that sense of, of what he is and maybe we've even got pictures in our minds of, of what he looks like and what God is. But in age I think we begin to see even better. For God is known with a greater depth and a greater breadth as we see that he is so much beyond us. For I believe that one of the benefits of age, as he said, you fathers, because you've known him, one of the benefits of age is beginning to recognize our own mortality and a longing for eternity. Much like Paul wrote there in Philippians 1, verse 23, as he wrote to them about the challenge that was going on in his life, and he says, and to depart and be with the Lord and he says, that's better. It's far better. I don't know in youth that we have that concept, but I think as time goes by, and the more we know the Lord, the more we understand what Paul was saying. And thirdly, he said, you have strength. Don't miss it. You have strength. You have the ability to be in the fight 
Or you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't have the ability to be in the fight. You wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't have it in your mind, in your heart. You wouldn't be here facing that. You wouldn't go out into the, into the world at all. You wouldn't be online looking at this. You wouldn't be seeking something if you didn't have the strength. But you have the strength. It may be that many of the sports that are played are played by the young and the vital, the physically able. But did you ever notice that those who manage are those of more years. They have the knowledge that they share. The strength is found in many ways. So friends, it is the blending. It is the blending of the ages, the experiences and the abilities. It is the blending that helps keep us centered and focused on God. Maybe that's what John is trying to tell us. See the whole picture, not just the fathers, not just the young men, not just the little children, but all of us together. The blending of the focused on God. There is a reason, right? He's got a message and he says, there's a reason I'm writing it to you. Ah, there's a whole lot more that John has to say. But he's making it clear that there is a message, and the message is to you, the message is to me, the message is to all ages. No matter what age we are, young and old alike, there's a message to you and a message to me. And the message is quite special. And he said, there's a reason why I'm writing. And if there's a reason why I'm writing, pay attention and get the reason, and then the writing becomes that much more important. We have known him, we've known the power of his love, and we know his salvation. Maybe there's someone who needs to respond this very morning. Maybe you need to consider some things in your own mind. Maybe you've come with a determination today. If you have, we want to encourage you and assist you. Whatever you need might be this morning. We're going to sing a song of invitation and encouragement. If you need to come this morning, that opportunity and that blessing of being able to be a part of that and to share that with you is here this very morning. If someone needs to come, please, won't you do so while we stand and sing together.